So if you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you have a bulletin insert. But just as a by the way that we noticed, we, we actually had a misprint on the insert. So you've got the first three verses, and then you have sort of the verse from last week. So bonus if you have a Bible in your hands, because you'll have the whole passage here. But I'm just going to read. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. And then after that, I'm just going to pray for us and pray for the time that we'll have together reading and talking through this passage. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Let's pray together. Father, together we celebrate these great realities that we've sang about. We celebrate the victory of Jesus. We celebrate that we get in on that victory. Thank you that we're gathered here not, um, not simply to hear some advice or to, um, or even to, to give each other a hug and a handshake. We are here because we believe in a special way you are present And we want to celebrate your presence and we want to honor your presence. We want to respond to you. Father, I pray that we would not just walk away from today with with a nugget of truth, but that we would experience you at work in us as a church this morning. Lead me through all that I say in um, explaining this passage and preaching your word. Lead all of us to experience the work of your spirit in us and around us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're calling this series that we're starting today, and that's going to last four weeks, we're calling this series, You Have a Gift. And for four weeks, we're going to walk through this chapter of 1 Corinthians 12. And usually that phrase, you have a gift, that's sort of reserved for people that we think are really important or really special. If you were in a room with LeBron James, you'd say, you, my friend, have a gift. You have a gift that almost no basketball player who has ever played has. If you were in the room with a great singer, like Aretha Franklin, who just recently passed away, you would probably say, you have a gift. You have a gift with an amazing voice, and you have a gift for for commanding a room. And there are people that we look at like that. They're, They're great speakers, great business people, great actors, famous people that we would look at, and we would say, that's somebody that has a gift. But what we already see, just even in reading through this passage, and what we'll see reiterated throughout 1 Corinthians 12, is that all of us, each of you have a gift. That title, You Have a Gift, is directed to each and every believer in Jesus. But let me share with you something else. Last Saturday, my oldest son, Matt, he had a gift. I mean, literally, he had a gift. He had a gift. It was a book, and it was all wrapped up, and then it was put into one of those nice bags. That means that you don't have to do a great wrapping job. 
Um, and, uh, and then there was, you know, kind of the, the paper around it, and then there was a nice bow on it and ribbons, and it was, all, it was all looking great. He had a gift. But I need to tell you something. That gift didn't belong to him. You know why? Because he was heading to a birthday party. He had a gift that he was about to give away. And here's what I want you to take in as we get ready to go through four weeks of talking about spiritual gifts. You have a gift. But sometimes when you hear, hear that phrase, you might think, all right, I have a gift. And that means I have something that I get to use for my own advancement. The biblical reality is actually you have a gift. And that gift is a gift that you are bringing to a birthday party. That gift is something that you are bringing for the benefit of others. In fact, really the theme for all four of these weeks is going to be that your gift is not for the purpose of hoarding, but for the purpose of sharing. You have a gift, and spoiler alert, it doesn't belong to you. You know who it belongs to? Now you might think God is the right answer usually, but actually no. God is the giver of this gift. The answer is not that that gift belongs to God. You know how that gift belongs to that gift belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. And by the church, I don't just mean the leaders, I don't just mean the building, I mean the people of God. You have a gift, and that gift belongs to the church. And as we get ready for this opening passage, what we're going to get to focus in on, before we focus on the specific gifts in the following weeks, we're going to get to focus in on the giver. We're going to spend time talking about the Holy Spirit in these six verses. And what we'll see as we walk through these six verses is that the Holy Spirit is the one giver of every good gift. In fact, just zero in on the words in this phrase for, for a moment. The one giver of every good gift. This is going to be a theme throughout these six verses. There is one giver. There's something that unifies all of us as believers in Jesus. But then there's many gifts. There's unity, but there's diversity within that unity. So real simple, if, if you like to take notes or you like to just kind of know where we are in the message, these six verses are going to break into two parts. For verses one through three, we're going to talk about the message of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit has a unifying message for us all. And then in verses four through six, we're going to talk about the ministry of the Spirit. In other words, we're going to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in the lives of believers in Jesus. So we'll start with these opening verses. We'll start with the message of the Spirit. And the message of the Spirit is this. It's the unifying message of one Lord. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a power. In fact, and I, I know sometimes we, we use words flippantly and we don't really think about them. But when you're speaking of the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't use the word it. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. According to the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is somebody who can be lied to, can be grieved, can be quenched. The Holy Spirit is somebody who teaches and reminds and leads. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God himself, a truly personal being. And the Holy Spirit has a message, and that message is that there's one Lord, which we'll really get to in verse 3, but, but let's get the running start. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. So in verse 1, Paul starts it by saying, now about the gifts of the Spirit. And it seems really straightforward to all of us. We say, all right, Paul's going to talk about spiritual gifts. 
And he is going to talk about spiritual gifts. But just as a note, that opening word that's translated, it's one word that's translated gifts of the Spirit, it's actually sort of an ambiguous word. It's a little bit hard to translate. In fact, if you have a different Bible translation other than the NIV, it's possible you have something different here. Because it could very straightforwardly mean spiritual gifts. After all, that is really what Paul focuses in on in in chapters 12, 13, and 14. But in a more general way, it could also just be translated now about spiritual things. Or it could even be translated now about spiritual people. It's not totally clear. He's starting this off and he will talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but he's actually talking more broadly about things that relate to the Holy Spirit. And I think one of the reasons why he's going to do this is because the Corinthian people are new to Christ, but they are not new to spiritual matters. We get more of that in verse two, but he says, all right, now about gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, speaking to believers, I do not want you to be uninformed. This is important enough that we're going to pause and talk about it. In fact, he uses three chapters of this letter to zero in on this subject. Then he says in verse two, we're going to remember something. He says, you know that when you were pagans, by the way, doesn't that just sound like a really derogatory thing to say to somebody? Remember back when you were a pagan? Just so you know, the the word that's translated pagan here is just sort of the nations. And this was the understanding of Israel. Paul is a Jew and he's bringing his understanding of Israel and the nations into his understanding of God's people as the church and the nations. He's basically saying, you used to be on the outside of God's people. You used to be among the people who didn't know God. So he says, all right, I want you to think back. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. This was your religious reality beforehand. You had a life before Jesus, and that life, and I, and I love it, and it is really vague how he talks about it here. He says, somehow or another, you were led astray and influenced by mute idols. However you got there, the conclusion, your destination in that time ended up that you were worshiping mute idols. And if you read through the Psalms in the Old Testament, or you read through the prophets, and especially Isaiah, This theme of mute idols is all over the place. It was the Israelites' favorite way to poke fun and mock the false gods. They said, this is a great setup you guys got here. You go, and you worship, and you bow down, and you pray, and you know what the idol says? You know what the idol says? It says nothing. You come and you bring your sacrifices and you cry out and you cry out for rain or you cry out for fertility, you cry out for your crops. And you know what the idol says? It says nothing. That's not even the idol's fault. The idol can't say anything. It says you used to have useless religion in the past. You had a life before Christ. In fact, how many of you have ever had somebody say to you, um, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual? Very common thing to say. Now, here's the deal. Some of us might be tempted to sort of write those people off and be like, that's stupid, that's impossible. I want to tell you right now, that's not stupid, that's not impossible. There is absolutely a spiritual realm at work. And so if somebody says, no, I'm not not part of organized religion or I'm not a Christian, I'm not a Christian, but I'm still spiritual. They're not wrong. You can decide not to be a Christian and still be spiritual. But the spirit you are interacting with is not the Holy Spirit. You're interacting with other spirits. 
I think that's part of what Paul is even pointing towards. He's saying, all right, we're going to talk about things related to the realm of the Holy Spirit. As we get into this, I'm just going to remind you, the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit out there. There are other spirits out there, and presumably those were instrumental in leading you to these mute idols. He wants to remind the Corinthians of their lives before, or some of you might even talk about this. If you think of your life and you think of the time at which you came to faith in Jesus, you might refer to the years before that time as your B.C. days. Sort of just like we think of the calendar B.C. and A.D., you say, well, that was the time before Christ. And sometimes if you're even with a bunch of friends and you're telling a story and they, they kind of crinkle their brow and they're thinking, you did that, and then you say, no, 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 that was B.C. That was before Christ. Now, here's what I want you to do for a minute. I want us just to personalize what Paul is talking about here. Before getting into the realm of the Holy Spirit, he says, you had a life before Christ, and that life involved idolatry. I want you just to pause right now and think of what your life was like before Christ. And for some of you, it might be really dramatic. Some of you might, might be a little bit like me where you say, well, I, I, I put my faith in Jesus at a really young age, so I, I, it, it's hard when you're four to remember back when I was three. Man, I was really a hellion, and I was really a difficult kid. So I, I understand that for some of us, we might feel like, well, I, I don't necessarily have that sharp contrast to look at. One of the things, and this is just something to consider, one of the things that I think about because I don't have kind of that dramatic before and after with that is I think about what would I have been like if I didn't come to Christ at four years old. Because I know my baggage and I know my problems and I know my failures. Oh my goodness, what would I have got into if I hadn't come to faith in Christ? And you might have a story with this. You might say, you know what, before Christ, um, alcohol really ran my life. And uh, it, it was in charge. I wasn't in charge or drugs were in charge and I wasn't in charge and those substances just sort of led me and I wouldn't stop and I couldn't stop and that was my life but now things are different. Or back then, I was really promiscuous sexually, or I was looking at pornography all the time, and I just didn't want to stop, couldn't stop, wouldn't stop, and now things are different. Back then, I manipulated people all the time. Back then, I was dishonest all the time. Back then, I was really angry, and I'd have outbursts of anger. And here's the deal. Some of you are right now thinking like, but I still have some of those things in my life right now. And no doubt, you do have some of those things in your life right now. But here's what I want to encourage you with. Chances are good that you're actually underestimating the transformation that's happened in your life because you are so close to yourself, you can't see the incremental growth. You ever seen a kid that you haven't seen in a couple years? And as soon as you see them, what do you say? Oh my gosh, look at you. Look how you've grown. And they sort of look at you sideways like, whatever. Like they, they don't perceive their growth. God has brought transformation into our lives. Now here's the deal. Here's the other thing that I want us to get in this because we've already read the passage so I'm not giving away some spoiler to say he's about to talk about the Holy Spirit in verse three. Here's the deal. Your transformation didn't happen because you decided to believe something about Jesus. Think of the disciples in the gospels. If you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples in the Gospels, did they believe in Jesus? Come on, this is a gimme. Yes, absolutely. They believed in Jesus. They were all in. They're leaving their boats behind. You know, Matthew's leading the, the tax collector um, booth behind. They were all in with Jesus. They absolutely believed in Jesus. They had misunderstandings and all that, but they believed. And yet, when Jesus was arrested, what did they all do? 
they all ran away and hid. When Peter, the leader of the disciples, when he had a chance to stand before people and say, Jesus is the Lord and I'll proclaim it and I don't care what happens, what did he do? He chickened out. He denied him. And I know we say that we, he denied him three times. He denied him at least three times. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you see, there might have been more times than that. And the last time that he denied him, it was true a little girl. A little girl comes up to Peter and says, didn't you used to walk with Jesus? And he's so severe in his denial that he basically says, may God send me straight to hell if I have anything to do with Jesus. Now, I want you to take in the reality that about two months after these things happened, Peter was standing before the whole Jewish nation saying, Jesus is Lord and you all need to repent. What in the world happened? The disciples who ran away and hid were praising God that God had counted them worthy to suffer for him, worthy to go to prison and worthy to be beaten for his sake. What in the world happened? Some of you know what in the world happened. What happened in Acts 2? What did God send to the people? He sent the Holy Spirit. And so here's the point that I'm making. The reason you experienced the transformation, the reason the Corinthians have a before and after is not simply because they decided to believe something different. It's that when they decided to believe something different, when they decided to put their faith in Jesus, God sent the Holy Spirit to utterly rock and transform their lives and our lives. The reason we have a BC and an AD in our lives is not because we adopted a different belief. It's because when we did that, God sent his spirit to change us says to the Corinthians, you had a life before all of this. And now let's talk about what the Spirit told you. Verse 3. Verse 3, he says, therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. Now just quick pause here. Doesn't this strike you as a really strange thing to need to clarify I mean, if we had kind of an open time as a church and we said, hey, people get to get up, open mic, and you get to just say what you think that the Holy Spirit is leading you to say, do you really think we would be in danger of any person getting up and saying, I really think that the Spirit is calling me to curse Jesus? It seems highly unlikely. So why in the world does Paul even need to clarify this? And here's the reason why I think he needs to clarify this. He just talked to the Corinthians and he said, you had a pagan past that involved idolatry. And one of the other things going on in the world right now is while there are a bunch of people who've placed their faith in Jesus, there are a bunch of Jewish people who have said, that Jesus who you're placing your faith in, he is cursed. He's cursed because he claimed to be God. He's cursed because he blasphemed, making himself equal with God. There is a curse on that Jesus. I think Paul's just bringing a contrast where he's saying there's some people who are spiritual who are chasing idols. There's some people who are spiritual who are cursing Jesus. But if you're interacting with the true Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, you know what he's leading you to say? He's leading you to say Jesus is Lord. In fact, he says no one can say Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Which again, you might say, yeah, they could. Somebody could say those words. Those words could come out of their mouths. But he's talking about more than that. He's talking about the confession that Jesus is Lord, which was the early church confession. And by the way, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that the Holy Spirit leads us to say, Jesus is my Lord. A quick question. If you say, Jesus is my Lord, is that good? 
yeah, that, that's good. The only point is, it doesn't actually matter in terms of Jesus' status, whether he's your Lord or not. Um, this happened two years ago when, when President Trump was elected. And I, I know with, with people in here, people voted all over the board. I'm not trying to make any point with that. But it did make me laugh a little bit in the aftermath with the whole hashtag, not my president. Because all I wanted to say is, well, yeah, he is. I mean, I understand, you know, people are saying that because I didn't vote for him. I don't like him. I don't support him. I think he's not. All right, that's fine. You can have all those opinions. But just from an objective standpoint, he is your president. Your distaste for him doesn't change reality. Now, in a much more profound way, here's the deal. If Jesus is your Lord, and if what you mean by that is, I have personally bowed the knee to him and I am treating him as the Lord, that changes things for you. But you know who it doesn't change things for? doesn't change things for Jesus. Jesus is not your Lord. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus will one day return to inherit this entire earth. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God. And what Paul is saying here is that here's what the Holy Spirit does. He gives you the message, Jesus is not one among many. Jesus is the only Lord. That means that we get to read the Gospels and we get to read about Jesus and think about that is the one who will inherit the earth. That is the one who will be on the throne at the end. That baby who was born anonymously to poor parents in a barn. That's the one who's going to be the final Lord in all. That one who was led into the desert and tempted in really harsh ways, that's the one that's going to be Lord of all. And and you might have a favorite Jesus story. I want you just to think through. There might be a story in the Gospels that especially connects with you. I'll share one of mine because it's not one that might necessarily come to mind for all of us. But there's a story that takes place in Luke chapter 6 where on a Sabbath, Jesus is with the Jewish people and he sees a man who has an injured hand. It says like kind of a withered hand. So he's, he has a handicapped hand. He's had some kind of injury or some kind of disease that he can't use this hand. And Jesus sees him. And as soon as Jesus sees him, the Pharisees start to whisper because they're like, watch this. Jesus is going to heal him and it's on the Sabbath and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So we're going to get him. We're going to get him right here, which I love because by the way, you know what that says about the Pharisees? What it says about them is they had already picked up on the fact that Jesus felt compelled to show grace. They looked at him and they were like, look at that injured guy. Jesus won't be able to resist it. He won't be able to not heal him. What does this say about Jesus? Just think about this. This is the Jesus we've come to believe in. Jesus was so filled with grace towards hurting people that the Pharisees know he can't resist. When you are in pain, when you're feeling low, when you're feeling guilty, when you're feeling shameful, when you're feeling lost, The Jesus that you have come to believe in is the Jesus who can't resist but show grace. And in Luke 6, he couldn't resist but showed grace. In fact, he got the man up in front of everyone. And in the sight of the whole gathered group, he healed him publicly and sent him on his way. That's the Jesus we've come to believe in. We've come to believe in the Jesus that we sang about earlier, who not only paid the ultimate price for our sins by dying on the cross, but wasn't finished and got back out of the grave. Jesus is Lord. The Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, what the Holy Spirit is telling you over and over and over and over again is, Jesus is Lord, so really it's okay to act like he is. 
It's okay to take that risk. It's okay to be generous in that way. In fact, it's not even okay. It's the smartest, wisest, best thing you could possibly do. Jesus is Lord, whether you bow the knee to him or not. And if you act like he's Lord, you're doing the best thing you can possibly do. This is the role of the Spirit. And by the way, we're going to talk more in the second part of the passage about how the Spirit works in harmony with the Son. So that's the message of the Spirit. All right, so we're starting spiritual matters. All right, the Holy Spirit, this is what he does. He points us towards Jesus. But now we're going to talk about the ministry of the Spirit. So the message of the Spirit has to do with the whole idea of one. We got one Lord, the ministry of the Spirit, then expands it out and says, well, we have one Lord, but we have many gifts. In fact, we'll get to this in the coming weeks, but the analogy that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 12 is the body, one body, and many body parts. And he uses that as an analogy for the church of Jesus Christ. And again, the church, not the building, the people, the people of Jesus Christ, one Lord, one head over that body, and many parts. So I'm going to put up verses 4 through 6 now, and I'm going to highlight some things as we walk through these. So I already read it through. First of all, I want you just to notice three times the word different, and three times the word same. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but, the, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God who's at work. We've got unity. We've got same. So we've got something that's holding us all together. But then we have differences. And just pause for a second in, in verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts. That's what we start with. We start with the idea that there are different kinds of gifts. Just as in a body, you have one body working together, but just think of the different body parts. There's a lot of diversity within the body parts. The same God who made the toenail made the large intestine. Those don't look alike. Those don't do the same kind of thing. The same God who made the kneecap made the teeth. Our bodies have a lot of diversity within them, but it's one body. He says, There's different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit is the giver of those gifts. By the way, just as a note, you know the reason why we have gifts has to do with the victory of Jesus. Because when a conquering hero went and won a battle, you know what he brought back to all his people? He brought back the spoils of war. Jesus went and won a victory over sin and death in the demonic realm. He won the victory that made him Lord of all the earth. And when he came back, you know what he brought? The spoils of war. And then the Holy Spirit comes and brings us those gifts. So we have many gifts. So just as with our body, we'd say, well, well, those are many different kinds of gifts. There's a lot of diversity within the body of Christ. And I'll, I'll highlight just a couple things. We'll, we'll talk about these gifts in the week coming. But I think I saw him in here. Mike Cloud. All right, Mike Cloud there in the back. Sorry, he doesn't know I'm going to do this. Um, how many of you know Mike? He's on our staff. All right, see, those are all the people that at some point have had a tragedy in their lives. Because, yeah, and I'm not even joking. Mo- many of you know Mike because there was a time where things were really, really dark. And Mike was the one who walked you through that dark time. We know that because that's what Mike does. That's what God gifted Mike to do. There are some of you in here who are like Mike. I I would call this, if if I'm going to try to identify it from the Bible, I'd say this appears to be the gift of mercy. The spiritual gift of mercy to be able to walk into a situation where people are hurting and to express mercy to them. Some of you are like Mike, and when you see somebody that's hurting, you're just compelled to go to them. It's fair to say some of us are not that way. 
Some of us are terrified to interact with people who are hurting. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you this. I remember this so clearly from when I was in college. I was with one of my friends, and we were walking to class. So we were kind of walking along this path, talking to each other. And uh, I don't know, like, you know, 25 feet in front of us, there were these two girls who were walking together also. And, uh, and then um, as we got a little bit closer, these two girls just kind of stopped in front of us, and they turned to each other, and one of them started crying, and the other one hugged her while she was crying. I had no idea what was going on, just something broke in her in that moment. She started crying. The other girl started hugging her. As we got closer to them, my friend started kind of looking in, trying to figure out what was going on. And my exact quote that I said to him was, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. I'm not making this up. I was so uncomfortable. I was like, no, 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 no. We're not going to, we can't do anything. She's got it. Let's just keep going. The same Holy Spirit equips some people to do something that feels like a superpower to some of us. Like, I don't know how you do that. And then there's some of us that get up in front and some of you are like, I don't know how you do that. And there's other people that do amazing behind the scenes things, either in tech or in administration, pushing buttons and making things work. And some of us who get up front say, I don't know how you, I don't know the, have the first idea of how to do that. Some of you, every time you're in a group or in a Bible study, you can't help but take over. In fact, for some of you, you don't even try to help but take over. You're just like, I'm here. I'm supposed to be leading. This is supposed to go differently. I'm going to make sure it goes differently. Some of you would not take responsibility or leadership unless it was forced upon you. The same Holy Spirit who gives people for upfront gifts, gives people for behind-the-scenes gifts. The same Holy Spirit who gives people for leadership and taking the reins, gives people for being in supportive roles and helping behind the scenes. The whole same Holy Spirit is at work in each and every one of us. But even look, because this is key. You have a gift, and the gift doesn't belong to you. And Paul hints at that in verses 4 and 5, because he doesn't just say there are different kinds of gifts. He says there's different kinds of service. Because you know what you're supposed to do with that gift? You're supposed to serve. What good is it otherwise? You have a gift, and that gift is to serve the body of Christ. So you serve the body of Christ through teaching a Bible study. You serve the body of Christ through helping out in Life Kids and leading one of the small groups in there. You serve the body of Christ by getting up here and using your musical gifts in an instrumental way um, in order to help people worship God more fully. We use our gifts in service. So he points towards the idea, your gift isn't for you. Your gift is for the church. There are different kinds of gifts, there are different kinds of service, and he even says there's different kinds of working, which basically appears to mean there's different kinds of impact that we'll bring. And he's not saying some people will have impact and some won't. But I think at the very least he's saying people will have impact in different ways. Um, we, Phil has really been plugging for us um, our life groups, which we believe is a vital part of what we do, how we function as, as a unified body here at Life Bible Fellowship Church. And here's how I'd like to describe it. On Sundays, for me and for other people who get up front, we get the privilege of having this kind of working, this kind of impact. I get to have an impact on Sunday mornings that's wide but shallow. And what I mean by that is I get the privilege of talking to all of you. But we're not having a discussion. We're not going back and forth. You're not asking questions and we're not digging into it. I'm not finding out what's going on in your life. So it's wide. It's touching everyone, but it's shallow. When you gather with your small group leaders, the role that you get to have in one another's lives is that it's narrow. It's only 10 or 12 of you, but it's deep. There are different kinds of working. But I want you to see something else here. 
Because Paul's really making a big point. He's making the big point. All right, all right, there's unity. We're all one. We're all in this together. We're all serving God together. We're all passionately pursuing life in Jesus and leading our neighbors to do the same. Right? We're unified. And so I want you to believe that it's possible for there to be unity even though there's diversity. And then in a sneaky way, he peppers in something that proves to us the reality and the distinctly Christian reality of unity in diversity. And it's through peppering in what we typically say the doctrine of of the Trinity. Now, don't miss this. And to make sure you don't miss it, let me highlight it for you. There are different kinds of gifts, but and this is going to be your part. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same. There are different kinds of service, but the same. And typically in the New Testament, when Lord is used, it's Lord Jesus Christ. Back in verse 3, Jesus is Lord. Verse 6, there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and everyone it is the same God at work. And when God is used in the New Testament in a generic way, it, it, it could have some variety, but typically it refers to the Father. We got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this passage. Look how sneaky Paul is. He's like, if you doubt the idea that there can be unity and oneness and that one gift is not better than the other, just look at the core belief that we have about the very nature of God, that he is three in one, that he's one God three persons. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here trying to talk about that theologically because that's, that's a deep concept, but I do just at least want to talk about it practically. Because in the body of Christ, we can look at it and we can say, well, I don't know that I'm as necessary as some of these other people. There can be a temptation to say, oh, maybe I do have a gift, but it certainly is not a vital gift. And I want you just to think for a second, which member of the Trinity do you think would say that? Which member of the Trinity do you think would say, I think they could do without me? Would it be the Father saying, oh, well, Jesus got it. Jesus is down there and he's fixing things and dying on the cross. I don't think that they really need me. The Son doesn't come unless the Father sends the Son. And can you imagine Jesus saying, I don't know, if the Father is the one who really sent me. I don't know that they really need me here. We'd say, oh, for heaven's sake, you come and die for the sins of the world. We need you. And if the Holy Spirit says, well, I mean, they call it Christianity, not spirit and it, you know, it's really about Jesus. The Father sent him. I don't know that I'm really necessary. We say, for heaven's sake, Jesus himself said that we are better off with the Holy Spirit living inside of us than with Jesus Christ standing right next to us. The disciples were a mess even when they were believers. And then they were pro profoundly transformed when they had the Holy Spirit. There is no jockeying for position. There's no inferiority or superiority within the Trinity. The Father's not like, what are these guys about? I don't need the Son. I don't need the Spirit. There is oneness. There is perfect oneness. And this is a picture of the body of Christ where we have different gifts, different ages, different ethnicities, the rich and the poor. We have all kinds of different members of the same body. Sometimes, I know this happens a lot at college football games, and college football season is big right now. If you ever watched a college football game, and they have a whole side, just a whole side of the stadium, where they all hold up, hold up a little square, and they'll make a mosaic together. It says something like, roll tide. I don't know if you're Jakari, you're watching that. Um, or some other signal for the team, go Trojans, for all you guys out there. Yeah, you know how I feel. So I want you just to think about that for a second, because obviously if that's going to work, and it's really beautiful, it's really amazing when you see it work. You can go look up YouTube videos of, of different stadiums doing this. When you see it work, it's really amazing. 
because it communicates this clear message or it's a picture, it's something really beautiful, it communicates a message right there. But you also know that that thing can be messed up just by one person not doing their job and not being present for it. Beyond that, what you also know is that one person up there holding a square by themselves is not going to communicate anything. It's a mosaic. It's every person doing their small part to communicate the message. And when it works, it's amazing. What Paul is saying to all of us is that you were given one of those squares. You didn't make it up. You didn't create it yourself. The Holy Spirit gave you one of those squares. And then your job is not to look at it and be like, look what I got. I'm the bottom half of the E. (laughs) Your job is to look at it and say, I'm going to go exactly where I need to stand. I'm going to hold it up proudly at the exact right time. And when I do that, we will communicate a message to everyone who's watching. And when we do this as the body of Christ, guess what message we're communicating? We are communicating the message, Jesus is Lord. We are communicating the message, there is forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name. We're communicating the message that no matter how dark your night is, there's a new resurrection coming. We're communicating the message that God unites people from all walks of life to come together and to create a mosaic. And just one of the questions I want you to think right now is, is your piece of the puzzle missing from the mosaic? And if it is, what kind of an impact is that going to have on the message? You're going to be challenged over these next three weeks. Hopefully you sense it now. Hopefully you sense that the Spirit is at work in this church to move us out of our comfort zone and to have us say, I have a gift I have a gift. I have a gift that the Holy Spirit gave me. And that gift isn't for me. That gift belongs to the church. I'm going to wrap it up. I'm going to bring it here. I'm going to try to find my spot. But even if I'm still searching for whatever I fit into this puzzle, I'm going to hold that up. Not proud about my gift that was given me, but proud that I get to play a part in the mosaic of proclaiming to the world the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you would even give us the privilege of putting you on display. Father, I thank you that what you've called us to is so much more than just coming and attending a church service once a week. You have gifted us, and that gift is meant to be brought to God's people and used to put you on display and to bring comfort and help to one another. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning who's really struggling with the thought that they have nothing to offer. I pray that you lead them out of any doubt or any self-pity or any fear and that you lead them to boldly bring their gift to your people. And Father, I pray for anyone who thinks that their gift is for them and that they can go it alone. I pray that you lead them in humility and commitment to you and to your people. Father, I pray that we would put Jesus on display in such a way that our surrounding community would know beyond a doubt that God is at work in our midst. We pray this in the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.